I'm aware that some people find it rather dull and boring to read the scriptures. I also know that others just love to study the scriptures. They dig in and they analyze words and they look up cross-references and, and so on and so forth. But you know, the problem often with either or both of those approaches is that we so often fail to encounter Jesus as we read the scriptures. It's, you know, all about knowledge without knowing and reading without revelation. And I think the Western education system is a little bit to blame here. You see, it's taught us to value knowledge above relationship. But at the same time, it's failed to teach us how to think critically and analytically and creatively. So it's no wonder that when it comes to the scriptures, we tend to default to a sort of knowledge acquisition mode as we read. Now, the Bible is not just a repository of knowledge. Of course it is. It has knowledge and wisdom and all sorts of wonderful information. But it's not primarily that. Its primary function is to reveal the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, revealed in and through the Scriptures. You see, we can't have a relationship with a book, no matter how inspired it is. But we can and desperately need to have a relationship with its author and its subject matter. The author and the subject matter of Scripture is none other than God incarnate, revealed in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember he said to the Pharisees of his day, he said this, You diligently study the Scripture, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, we're a bit like that, I think, when we study the Scripture or, or read in a boring, disengaged manner. We come to the Scripture, but we fail to find the author of life. So today's message is about how we can avoid this pitfall. And the passage I've chosen is John chapter 21, verses 1 to 13. Listen how it reads. Afterwards, that's after his resurrection from the dead, his appearances. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, rowing with a net full of fish and towing it, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning with coals on it, and there were fish on it, and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the nets were not broken. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
because they actually knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, if we approach a text like this from purely a knowledge acquisition perspective, this is the kind of thing that will happen. We start at verse 1 and it says, Jesus appeared to them again. And immediately the cogs of our minds start turning and we say, I wonder how many other appearances there were, when they were, what he said, and so on. And we start looking it up and cross-referencing. Well, for your information, there were three. It says here, this was the third time. But tell me, how does knowing this fact help us to relate to Jesus in any way? Then we get down to verse 7. It talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we start thinking, so who was it? That was John himself, was it? Maybe Peter? Or maybe one of the other ones there. And again, we put our Bible down, we hop up, we look at commentaries, we cross-reference and so on. But does this help us to better love Jesus? Just to know with certainty who he was referring to, who John was referring to as the one whom Jesus loved. Ah, then we get to verse 11. 153 large fish. Boy, this is a rabbit hole of note. And we dive down it. What does it signify? And we look up the commentaries and so on. Some say, well, there were 153 species of fish in Galilee. Well, that's just nonsense. Well, it signifies all the people in the world, maybe. And then the mathematically inclined say, no, you see, it's the sum. It's a square number. It's the sum of the numbers 1 to 17. If you add up 1 plus 2 plus 3 all the way up to 17, you get to this magical number. Of 153. How does knowing the sum of the numbers add up to a better relationship with Jesus? Doesn't really, does it? Now, these things may be interesting. I actually find them interesting and I love to study them, but they're so often distractions that prevent us from focusing on the, the real issue here. What is Jesus revealing to us in and through the scriptures? We need another approach. We need another way of reading the scripture. Yes, analysis has its place. And yes, research has its place. But surely the first place must go to finding, relating to the Lord Jesus Christ in and through the Bible. So I want to actually demonstrate now an alternative approach using sanctified imagination sparked with logic, not snuffed out by it. And first, brother, I want to shed some different light, a more relational light, on how we can actually read the scripture here in this passage. And then I want to show you how we can relate to Jesus in and through the scripture. Right at the beginning, verse 1 to 2, it talks about how these seven disciples, Peter plus six, went off to Galilee. Now, they weren't necessarily running away from Jerusalem and Peter wasn't necessarily trying to escape because he was ashamed. No, the angel had told Mary at the empty tomb, go and tell Peter and the others that the Lord is preceding them, going ahead of them to Galilee, and he'll meet them there. And in fact, Jesus had already told Peter this personally. So Peter was just obeying, and the other disciples with him, and they left Jerusalem, and they went off down to Galilee. Now, it seems that they didn't meet Jesus straight away. Because they must have got bored or whatever it was. Because Peter said, you know what? 
I'm going fishing. Another guy said, count us in. So they all hop into the boat, pushed off, and they fished the whole night. Fishing in Galilee was apparently better at night, but they found nothing. They caught nothing. They must have been tired and frustrated, but as dawn is breaking, they look across at the shore that's about 100 yards away, it says. So that's quite a distance. And in the early light, they look and they see the vague shape of a man standing there. And this man calls out to them and says, You don't have any fish, do you? Well, they didn't recognize who it was, and the voice was a bit vague because of the distance. But it sounded eerily familiar. Then he says to them, Throw your nets on the right side and you will. You'll catch fish. Now here's the surprising thing they did. Why? Why did they obey? Tired? Frustrated? Some man they don't know says, throw it over the side. This man is standing at the same level as they are. He's on the shore, not up a hill. He can't see if there are fish jumping on the other side. But they obey. Why is that? Well, do you remember when Jesus first called Peter and John? Three and a half years earlier, they had been fishing all night. They had caught nothing. They pulled up their boats and they were mending their nets. Jesus approached and he said, push out your boats. You'll catch fish. So they do. And it tells us that they caught so many fish that the fish were almost swamping the boats. The boats were sinking. And Peter was so amazed, he suddenly realized the power and the glory of this man who was standing among them, that he fell down on his knees in the boat, and he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, imagine Peter and John are in this boat again. And it's so familiar, the scenario. They've been fishing all night, they've caught nothing. Here comes a man who says, Throw out your nets and you'll catch. They must have been exchanging glances. They must have been thinking, could this then be Jesus? Is this him? So they throw their nets over and as they start to pull the nets back in, they must have felt the tug on those nets, the weight of the fish. And then as the net rises to the surface, the fish jumping, big fish jumping, squirreling and squirming in the nets. Wow. And John turns to Peter and he said, it is the Lord. Then Peter does something really strange. Now, he's been fishing all night. He's stripped down to his loincloth because it's heavy work. Loincloth, underpants, right? Now, what he does now, when he hears that it's Jesus on the shore, or realizes this, he puts his robe on. It's already off. He puts it back on. And he dives into the water and he swims 100 meters or whatever to the shore. Tell me. Have any of you tried to swim in your pajamas or your dressing gown or a robe or something like that? Oh man, that's not something you want to try and do. But Peter does this. Why? Why does he do that? Do you remember three and a half years ago when he had met Jesus? Jesus had said to him, Peter, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter had realized who he, Peter, was and who Jesus was. And he said, oh, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He had profound respect for Jesus. When he realized it was Jesus on the shore, there was no way that he was going to go and stand before his Lord in his underpants. He was going to be properly attired. 
even although it must have been a hang of a struggle to swim a hundred meters in a robe. But he did. When the others reached the shore, here's Jesus. He's got a fire going. He obviously had his own fish already, because he had the fish brying and he had some bread baking on the fire. He told them to sit down. He blessed the food. He broke it. And he served them. Here is Peter, who has covered himself up. Here is Jesus, who has opened himself, laid himself bare, showing them his nature and his character again. He is serving them, caring for them, providing for them. He is their Lord, Saviour, Master, Friend, Provider, Comforter, Healer, Jesus. Okay, so now that you have a sense of what's probably happening here in this passage, let's take a step further and try and actually step into the passage. Instead of just observing what's happening, try and be there. You know, I mentioned at the start of the passage there are seven disciples, but only five are named. The other two are unnamed disciples. So they couldn't have been part of the original twelve, right? They were just ordinary people like you, like me. So why don't we just assume their place for a moment. Be one of those two unnamed disciples. Step in to the scene. Use your senses. Smell, hear, taste, feel, see. Feel the warmth of the fire as you sit round it. Hear the fish sizzling. Smell that beautiful aroma of the, of the bread baking. Look across the flickering flames in the dawn light and see the face of the Master, the face of Jesus. Listen to the tone of his voice. And how he's talking. And then why don't you speak to him in prayer? Why don't you just ask him stuff or tell him how you feel or just say that you are so privileged and honored and you find it's just wonderful to be able to encounter him like this again. Although 2,000 years have passed till he reveals himself again and again freshly in the scripture. And then be quiet for a while. Because perhaps, just perhaps, he has something to say to you, or something to show you. Yeah, the Bible is truly God-breathed, I believe this. And it contains lots of information and wisdom and fact. But its primary purpose is to reveal Jesus to us, in and through its words. Why? So that we may know him now and eternally. You know, the last verse of chapter 20, the verse that precedes this passage I've just read this morning, I'd like to read it to you. Listen to how it reads. It says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have a life in his name. <laughs> My prayer for myself and for, for you is the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. As in the words of that song that I think most of us know so well, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord. And help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see 
Jesus. God bless you. Bye for now. Thank <laughs> you.